Thanks for listening to the teaching podcast for People of Hope Church. To learn more about our ministry in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, visit peopleofhope.church. Amen. Good morning. I'm so, so glad that you are with us today. I love that we got to sing that song right before the teaching today, that king of my heart, the idea of we are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are trusting ourselves to God, both in this life and in the life to come. We're trusting him and we are trusting that he is good. Not only that he is king, but that he's a good king. He's the ruler, the leader of our lives, but we trust that every decision he makes is the right decision, that every call he makes to put his hand forward into a situation or every call that he makes to hold his hand back in a situation is a good decision because he is God and he knows all things and he sees how everything fits together. And this is a beautiful thing in that chorus. We say, you are good, you are good, you are good, and that's our confidence, Our confidence is that he's not cruel, that he's not leading us down a path to destruction, that he's not lying to us, that he's not toying with us. Our confidence every single day as we follow God is that he is a good king, a good shepherd. And then we love that lyric, you're never gonna let me down. Can you hear Joseph singing that? Even when he was the favored son who got a beautiful coat and then his brothers turned on him, but he's still trusting. When the heartache came into your world and it just seemed like a curveball out of nowhere, but you go, wait a minute, my king is good. We're in the middle of a series called Search, and all of us have decisions that we need to make. We have lefts and rights to which to choose from. We have, we have the opportunities to go in this direction. If you're a student, you have some colleges that you may be looking at where you're trying to figure out, am I supposed to invest my time in, in this city, in this university, or in this city, or in this university? Uh, those of us who are, are, are some of us are, are married, but some of us aren't. And some of us are thinking, wow, I would love to get married someday. And is this a person I want to marry? Is this a person I want to pursue dating? Uh, some of us are in situations in our jobs where we're thinking, is this the time to bail and to to step out to something different? Is this the time to stick in where I am? Am I I really needing to stay put where I am in this job? Some of you are leaders and you're trying to figure out, should I hire this person or not hire this person? Should I change this area or not change this area? Some of you are parents. Should I make this decision about my kids? How should I handle this with my kids? All kinds of decisions all around us. And as we're searching for some help in this, because let's face it, a lot of times we struggle as as Christians to make decisions with fear. And I gave you that picture last Sunday uh, of, that, of, of that, that person who was just kind of closing their eyes and squinting and, oh my gosh, I hope this is the right one. I hope I don't mess it up. And a lot of times that's the way we approach decision making. But the point of this series is that you and I would be inspired and equipped to know that our king is good and he's not fooling us and he's not playing hide and seek with his plan for our lives. And he's also not leaving you out in the cold to say, fend for yourself. I hope you make the right decision, because if you do, things will be great. And if you don't, whoops, sorry. 
in all that fear and all that frustration and in all the heaviness of some of these decisions, my heart as a shepherd, as a pastor, is to help you in these weeks, to give you something that you could even use for the rest of your days to help you make decisions in all areas of life. Confident, God-honoring decisions. Last week, we kind of set it all up with this idea of, of discernment. Let's kind of put that definition back on the screen this morning. We, we looked at the biblical idea of discernment. It's a faith skill using intellect and prayer to examine the spiritual and practical factors in a decision. Discernment is a faith skill that we're trained in. We have to grow up into. It's a biblical concept where you and I think about it and we pray about it and we come to a decision out of it. We've looked at the factors that are spiritual. We've looked at the factors that are practical and then we make a decision. We've discerned what's best. In this idea of discerning, you've got the faith skill that, that's using prayer to examine the spiritual, but it's also using intellect. The next two Sundays, after today, and we're going to do some theological work this morning in understanding God's will, but the next two Sundays are going to be super practical. How do you think about these? How do you seek wise counsel? How do you examine the scriptures? How do you think carefully? All those kind of things. And then how do you walk forward in confidence in a decision? We're going to get really practical because that's part of discernment. I hope that your heart is encouraged by this teaching. I hope that your heart is equipped to help you walk through decision-making without fear and hope in our King who is good. This morning, we're going to wrap our hearts and minds around basically two views of God's will. What is God's will? And often that comes with, oh my gosh, I want to know God's will. I want to be in God's will. I want to be in the center of God's will. Whatever Christian phrase you want to use, I want to know that this is God's will. Is this God's will or not God's will? We're going to wrap our, our hearts and minds around two thoughts of God's will. There's two ways of thinking about God's will. There's God's revealed will. And God's unrevealed will, God's hidden will, God's secret will. And we're going to unpack these today. Like I said, we're going to do a little theological work, a big foundation piece to understand who our king is, who our God is, and how he works in the world. God's revealed will, our understanding of that is these are God's expectations. If you're curious, says the Lord, murder is wrong. That God will say, here's my expectation, here's my preference, here's my command, here's my instruction. If you're wanting to know, I'm God, you're my children, you're my people, I decide stealing is wrong. Stealing is not a good thing, it's a bad thing. So you have God's expectations, his preferences, and his requirements where God declares, because he is God. He declares what is right and acceptable for how we live in relationship to each other and to God. And for most of us, we understand that, that, that God's revealed will is in here, but not all of it. God has a preference about people going into synagogues in Pennsylvania and shooting people. What do you think? God has a preference there. But you can't go to a chapter and verse about that. But we absolutely know that God has a preference about that, that that is not right. 
You can't turn in your Bible, Old Testament or New Testament, to see the verse that, that really speaks specifically to internet pornography. You're not going to find it in there. But do you believe God has a preference about this? Do you, God, do you believe God has something to declare right or wrong about this? So we try to come to an understanding from using all the other scriptures and all the ways that God has revealed himself to us of what his declaration is of what is right and acceptable for how we live in relationship with each other and to God. He's not hiding these things. It's very clear. You can read his word. You can study his character. You can watch the things he approves of. You can watch the things he he condemns. You can watch the things that God says, hey, go in this direction. You can look carefully at the things where God says, don't go down that road. And you can learn. This is why we study the Bible, to understand the ways of our God, to understand his heart and mind and intentions the best we can. There is an aspect of God's will where he's been very clear He's already spelled it out. Let's look at some scriptures together to understand a little bit more of how the Bible talks about God's revealed will. First of all, you've you've got Exodus 20. You guys are familiar with the Ten Commandments? Have you heard of those? Just checking in, making sure you've heard of those. This is a great example of God's revealed will. I mentioned a couple of those a minute ago. In in verse um, 13, you're going to have God very clearly say, You shall not murder. There's no gray area there. God's declaring. He's God. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. And you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. God is declaring things that are of his mind, of his preference, his requirements, the way he wants it to go. Because he's God. He did that in the beginning in the garden. Eat of everything else except that tree right over there. Be free and enjoy everything, but not that one. Don't eat that one. God has been declaring from the beginning, and he's been revealing his preference, the way he wants you to go, what's acceptable, what's right. Another passage of Scripture is found in Matthew uh, chapter 7. Let's look at that one. Matthew seven twenty one. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. The revealed will of God, who keeps the will of God, who follows the will of God, who goes along with what God says is right. Another scripture passage, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, particularly verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve, there's that idea of discernment again, what we talked about before, test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You'll be able to to test and approve what his will is. Now, this is talking about you'll be able to understand and come around the idea of, yeah, this is God's heart on this. Not you'll be able to understand his secrets for when the world's going to end. That's God's unrevealed will. 
You'll be able to test and approve. You'll be able to discern. Okay, it's 2018 and internet pornography is a scourge on our planet. It, it's a disease that's creeping into households and families and it's, it's a toxin that's poisoning marriages and relationships and it's raising up a generation to really, really have a false view, a twisted view of the beauty of sexuality that God has given to the world. Oh my gosh, there's no, there's no chapter, there's no verse on that. So what do we do? We're not going to conform to this world, but we're going to renew our mind and we're going to be able to test and approve. We're going to get together and study and we're going to look and we're going to see, well, this is how we're supposed to treat other people. This is how we're supposed to view ourselves and our bodies. Okay, well, it says over here not to be, partake of sexual immorality. Uh, so, okay, well, all those, pulling all those things together, then I can test and approve. I I can discern that God's preference is, is that internet pornography is not a good thing. It's not a healthy thing. I don't have to have the chapter and verse for that. I can test and approve and discern God's heart and mind on this. We do this in community. We do this with scholarship. We don't just kind of go out on an island. By the way, if you're the only one you've ever met in your life and you can't find it online anywhere and you can't find it in books, if you're the only one who has a particular belief about God, there's a chance you're off base. We, we do this in community, we do this in scholarship, and we come around and we test and approve and check and recheck, and how does that match up, and how does that line up, and then we can come to an understanding, this seems to be what God is declaring about internet pornography in 2018 by taking these four, these seven, these 18 verses that are connected to the ideas involved in pornography. Yep, this seems to be God's heart on the matter. Seems to be God's mind on the matter. Another passage that we can look at is in 1 Thessalonians 4, speaking directly to this idea of immorality. It's not the teaching today, but uh, I guess God wanted us to weave it all in. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. That sanctification is the process where you're becoming more and more like Jesus, where God is refining you from the inside out. He's changing your mind and your desires and your, your, your uh, allegiances. And he is making you more and more like Jesus. It's God's will that you be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, improper, inappropriate uses of your sexuality. Avoid it. It is God's will. So a lot of times in the book it spells it out, but other times it doesn't. I can't find the verse in here that tells me God's will on Krispy Kreme donuts. But certainly they're glorious, aren't they? I mean, if the red light's on, right? If they're not, just keep on driving. But if the red light's on, I mean, certainly, how could a good God who made something so delicious, I mean, how could, well, maybe we put these together. Maybe, I don't, I don't know. This is... By the way, this is not a teaching on donut, donutology uh, this morning uh, at all. But certainly we can put some thoughts together that a donut here or there could be a beautiful, tasty thing. Uh, but, you know, uh, three dozen a day may be a bad idea. And we're like, well, that's common sense. Yes. 
Congratulations, you're discerning. <laughs> you're discerning how God wants you to treat your body. We test and approve and we figure out what God's heart is on things. He's given you a brain. As you come to decision making, you don't have to turn your brain off. God has given you the ability to be wise, to observe, and to learn. Let's look at one more passage of scripture. John chapter 4. Still talking about God's revealed will. How God's already said very clearly who he is and what he's about. John chapter 4 Jesus is just talking with the woman at the well and the disciples come up and they walk up on this conversation and it seems a little intense and she says, I know when Messiah comes, he'll tell us all things and Jesus looks at her in the eye and he says, I'm the one, I'm here. The Messiah you're waiting for, I'm here. He who you speak of, it's me. And the disciples walk up and they're like, hey, Jesus, do you want some food? He's like, nope. He says very clearly, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. What a beautiful heart. What a beautiful posture and a way to live. My delight, what fills me up is to honor the preferences of my God, to honor the wishes of my God, to go God's way, to do life God's way. To honor him and his commands. If God's asked you to do something, I want to do that. That's my food, Jesus says. So when you think about God's revealed will, here's an interesting truth. God's revealed will can either be obeyed or disobeyed. It's interesting. God has given us that kind of freedom in our lives that he has put his will out there. You shall not murder. You can obey that or you can disobey that. It is God's will that you be sanctified, that you avoid sexual immorality. You can obey that or you can disobey that. That's true about his revealed will. But that's absolutely not true about his unrevealed will. Let's go back to that definition one more time of those those two things here. God's revealed will, we've talked about that, his clear expectations, what he's declared as his requirements, his preferences, what's right and acceptable. But his unrevealed will, this is God's grand design for how the story of creation begins, unfolds, and completes. All arranged to satisfy his preferences and accomplish his purposes. There is a master plan for all of creation. And God knew it when he spoke the world into existence. Paul talks in the book of Ephesians about how he chose you in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. 
God knew the beginning, middle, and end. God is not reactionary. God is sovereign and proactive. God is actively working out his plan for all of creation right now. God's not playing defense. God's not playing catch up. God's not making it up as he goes. The world is not spinning out of control in chaos. The world is unfolding according to the plans, preferences, and purposes of our God. And all of it is moving toward this culminating, climactic, crescendo moment where everything will point to, look how bad it is, but look how beautiful Jesus is. It was wrecked, and then a savior. (laughs) It was perverted, but then one who washed clean. It was dark, but then the light of the world. And you only know how good the light is because of how dark the dark is. And the one who writes this story of all creation, not just your story and my story, but how your story and my story fit together with their story and the story of our great-great-great-grandparents and our great-great-great-great-grandchildren, how all that fits together and all, all these things fit together. The one who writes the story is right now holding you in his hand. And you are absolutely on course with where God wants you to be in his story. Because while his revealed will, you shall not murder, can be disobeyed, his unrevealed will will get done. It's going to happen. You're going to think, well, maybe I could be like Jonah and run from God. Yeah, that's fine, but he'll come after you and he'll move you to where he wants you to be. You're never going to pull one over on God. You're never going to frustrate God. God is never going to be, man, I feel like I'm hindered right now. I can't really do what I'd like to do. There's never a moment when our God is frustrated. Our God is working things together in the grand plan of his design. So, so what are you saying, Pastor Kyle? Are, are you saying that, that God at the very beginning when he said, let there be light, 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 When he said that, are you saying he knew that he would have to give his own son to die for the sins of the world? Yes. Are you saying when he put Adam and Eve in the garden and he said to them, be free and enjoy, have all of these things all to your fill, enjoy, except that one tree right there. Are you saying that when he did that, he knew, he knew they would rebel against him? Yes. Our God has a grand design for how the story of creation begins, how it unfolds, and all of its beautiful messiness. It is filled with drama. Can I get an amen? It is loaded with suspense. Who needs Netflix? Real life is riveting. The unfolding. And he knows the completion. 
For there will come a day where there will be no more disease in our world. There will come a day where there's no more depression in our world. There will come a day when there's no more corruption in our world. There's no more human trafficking in our world. There's no more abuse in our world. There's no more hatred or strife in our world. There will come a day when everything is complete and we will be with him and enjoy him forever in the light of his love. And it's only possible because of Jesus. And that is our hope. That all of these things that look like they're spinning out of control are actually spinning together in the heart and plan of God. Well, I don't see how all those things fit. And how could a good God let this thing happen? Listen, I tell you what, you let him be God and you try to do your deal on a daily basis and let him sort how all these things come together. Well, I don't understand. That's right, we don't understand. And you're gonna give yourself a brain cramp if you try to. You and I make terrible gods. Because sure enough, it wouldn't take long before we were working everything out for our good. Let's look a little bit at his unrevealed will in Scripture. His undisclosed master plan. First of all, in the book of Daniel, we see just a reminder that God is sovereign. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 35 The prophet says, all the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. They're they're small in power. They're small in weight. It doesn't mean they're small in value. It means they're small in power. They're not a threat to God. He, talking of God, does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? God does what he pleases in the heavens and with the people of the earth. God is at work right now, all the time, for his glory and for your good. While you slept last night, God was at work. While it looked like your life was taking a left turn into disaster, God was at work. When it when it came to you that that situation just soured in that relationship, God was at work. When the diagnosis came, God's at work. We trust that God is moving things as he pleases and that he is good. It's the hope. He's good. It's the only way we can sleep at night. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Look at all those words. He works out everything in conformity He makes it go along with. He makes it fit in with the purposes of his will. He makes it subject itself to the plans that he has. God's never frustrated. God's never thwarted. God never says, I guess I'm going to have to take another tack here. 
He's always at work. One more verse. James chapter 4. Our Hope students are going through the book of James right now in their community groups. They'll get to this passage at some point. And James has this thought here. He says, you know, um, listen, you who say today or tomorrow will go do this or that in that city and spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. This is James's way of saying, hey, you're not God. You don't know tomorrow. And he very clearly says, instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, unrevealed plan. We don't know it now, but we're going to get a little bit down the road and we'll look back over our shoulder and go, oh, oh, that was God's plan. You and I can only speak of God's unrevealed plan in hindsight and in future hope. We can only speak of God's unrevealed plan in hindsight and in future hope. But James is instructing us with language. Instead of saying, I'm going to do this when I'm 48. I'm going to do this when I'm 78. James is saying, what you ought to say is, if the Lord wills, if it's God's will, I'll do this. And I try to include this in my conversation all the time. Even if I'm going to say, you know, I'm going to go, go eat some food this week at a certain restaurant. I'm going to say, Lord willing. I try to throw that at Lord willing. I try to throw that in because it's a reminder to me, not you. If we're in a conversation, we're saying, hey, let's do something cool over spring break. Lord willing, we can make these. We're just saying we have no idea what God's up to or what God's going to do between now and then. And our lives are in his hands. He's the king and we belong to him. So I'd like to go there for spring break. I'd like to do that for spring break. But, but it's if the Lord wills. It's just one of the ways you keep remembering. He has a plan. He has a purpose. And whatever that plan is, whatever that purpose is, it's way better than mine. And he's good. So I trust him. So I trust him. There is something beautiful about being in a relationship with the God who plans. Don't you love that? Before the creation of the world, God was already thinking of you and me. He was thinking of the relationship you're in, the relationship you're going to discover eight months from now. God already saw your life in totality. There's something beautiful in our planner, God. It's a beautiful reminder that we do not exist in chaos. We exist in the human poor eyesight of what he's up to. I like to say it this way. Our future isn't unknown. God knows it. It's simply unnamed. Our future isn't unknown. It is simply unnamed. Oh, that brings rest to my soul. You mean you thought this was going to happen and then boom, it turns a corner and something goes a crazy way you never expected it to go? God knew it was going to go that way. It's not a surprise to God. And there's rest in that. 
So that if the world takes a sharp left hand, heartbreaking turn, the comfort is my future was not unknown. It was just unnamed to me. God knew it was going to be there. He was preparing me to get to that left-hand turn. He was with me all through that turn. And he's going to be with me as I keep going in that new direction. Why are we setting all this up today? Why are we talking about this? Because very often you and I struggle with this concept of God's will. I got a decision in my work. Which one is God's will? I've got a decision about a relationship. Which one is God's will? I've got a decision about a college to go to. Which one is God's will? Searching for the unrevealed will of God in your decision making is a problem. Which one is God's future for me? That's not a wise course of action. Let me unpack that a little bit this morning of of why the search for God's unrevealed will in decision-making is a problem. I, I know some of you are like, well, aren't we supposed to search for God's will? Yes, we are supposed to be in line with God's revealed will, but you and I are not supposed to squint and yearn and long and think and ponder and figure out what God's gonna do in 20 years. That's his master plan. Here are a few reasons why it's a bad idea to make that as a part of your decision-making process, to search for his unrevealed will, his secret plan. Number one, because while God has a plan, he almost never shares the details. He almost never shares the details. Now, let me, let me get a, a little response from you this morning. Could God show up at your house and tell you what he's going to do in your life in the next year? Could God do that? Yep. It's not very likely. We walk by faith. That's the life he set up for us. Now, think about your scriptures for a moment. He went to Mary through an angel and said, here's what's about to happen. She is blessed to receive that. But you and I don't get that, do we? God doesn't kind of sit down and go, all right, hang on. I know you think this is the way it's rolling, but get ready. In 11 days from now, this is going to happen and it's going to be for my glory. What? We may consider ourselves blessed that God doesn't tell us what's going to happen in the next two months, two years, 20 years. Friends, let's stop searching for God's master plan in our daily decision-making because he almost never shares the details of what he's about to do. One other example comes to mind is Moses. Moses disobeyed God. He disobeyed God's will. There was a rock. There was some striking that was involved. There was some water that was involved. And the consequences were severe. Moses, you're not going to enter into the promised land. Any, you're not going to get to go with the people. And God took him up on the mountain. <laughs> and then he buried Moses there. So evidently Moses died in the presence of God at the will and hand of God as consequence for his disobedience to him. And God was talking him through it the whole time. God rarely shares the details 
So stop searching for God's unrevealed master plan for your life. Second reason why this is a problem is because the search for God's unrevealed will can lead to indecision. It can lead to indecision because you're afraid of getting off script. Some of us grew up with the language in church of, well, which one, which college is God's will for you? Oh my gosh. I'm just putting it off. I'm putting it off and I'm putting it off and I'm still putting it off. And I don't know, I'm just thinking I'm scared to death of choosing the wrong one. When you attach God's master plan to your life for your daily decision making, you amp up the pressure to know the pressure to know the secret things of God. And that is not where God wants you to live. Some of you right now, and this is going to be just, just getting right to the heart of your world right now. Some of you are holding back on some decisions for life and work and relationships and dealing with your family and dealing with your parents and dealing with your loved ones. Some of you are holding back on some of those things right now because you're scared to death of not following God's secret plan for your life and you're never going to know it. We are called to live by faith, not by guarantees. And you and I are almost never, Mary and Moses, and a couple of others in Scripture, almost never going to have God spell it out for us. So we discern. We look at His revealed will. And we use our intellect and we pray and we seek wise counsel and we think carefully and we go through all these processes that I'm going to walk us through in these next two Sundays. We do this to help us make decisions. But if we keep searching for this secret master plan, for some of us, it'll paralyze us into no decision at all. And I believe sometimes there are things that pass us by and opportunities that pass us by because fear cripples us from stepping in confidence because we used a process of discernment to make a God-honoring decision. The third and final reason why it's a problem to search for God's unrevealed will and to use that kind of language is because, here's the reason, because making the wrong decision can have exponential consequences. Making the wrong decision can have exponential consequences. Here's, here's what I'm talking about. Gentleman here in the, the second row, whose name is Bartholomew, wants to get married. And Bartholomew is going, man, I, I'm trying to figure out which is the quote-unquote one that I'm supposed to marry. That's Christian code for what's God's secret plan. Which is the one I'm supposed to marry. And Bartholomew finds Gertrude and he's like, oh man, Gertrude fires me up. Gertrude is beautiful. Gertrude and I laugh together. Gertrude, yeah, she is, you know, she is amazing. I think she's the one I'm supposed to marry. But uh-oh, Bartholomew was off base that day. 
He stayed up too late playing Fortnite. His brain was a little muddy. He just wasn't thinking clearly. And Bartholomew was not supposed to marry Gertrude. He was supposed to marry Angela. And oh no, Bartholomew, you married Gertrude. Gertrude was supposed to marry Frank. And Frank was supposed to marry Guinevere. You've messed things up exponentially. You're married to the wrong person. Now the person who's married to you is supposed to be married to somebody else and they're married to the wrong person and now they're married to the wrong person. Way to go, Bartholomew. As silly as that sounds, when you try to search for God's unrevealed what's the right thing if I step rightly, great. If I step wrongly, boom. That search is loaded with fear and God has not bought you out of death to live in fear. God has brought you from death to life to live in a relationship with him and to trust him and to follow him as your king. And what kind of king is he? What kind of king is he? He's a good king. He's a good king. So you can trust him. So our language then needs to shift. If God has a revealed will, which are all of his expectations and all of his preferences, I can try to find those, try to understand those. I can read those. I can discern those. And God has an unrevealed un will, which is his master plan, which has been in existence before the beginning of the world, which God is playing out and will not, um, not come, as Ephesians says, until the times reach their fulfillment, which means God has a plan. The times haven't reached their fulfillment yet. If those things are true about God's will, then my language needs to be this. It's, it's not that I'm saying I got a couple of colleges to choose from and, you know, you know, it's God's will for me to go to this college. My language probably needs to pull down from that so that I'm not scared to death of messing up exponentially and ruining my life. My language probably needs to be, I've prayed about it, I've thought about it, I've talked about it, I've searched the scriptures about it, I've thought about who God is, I've thought about what seems best in this moment. I've got these opportunities in front of me, and now having gone through a process of discernment, instead of saying, this is God's will, I'm going to say, this seems like the path that I'm supposed to take. This seems best for right now. Friends, if we could pull back on the God's will language just a little, we would be people who did not struggle with anxiety and fear as much. Because your God is a good God and he is not cruel and he is not hiding his plan from your life. It's not your plan, it's his plan. He doesn't want you to kind of search and groan and I'm going to find it. I'm going to find it so I can get a guarantee that this is the right one. Nope, he doesn't want that. He wants you to live by faith. Well, that's a lot harder. Uh-huh. Why can't he just tell me he wants you to trust him? See, I think the goodness of life with Jesus is that we don't just execute his plans. We experience his plans. We're right in the middle of them. And as the story of your life is unfolding, loaded with drama, can I get another amen? amen? And loaded with suspense. 
You are clinging to your Savior. You are counting on the hero. You are counting on your God who is on his throne and who is working out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. And you get up every day going, I'm in his hands. And I'm going to make some decisions. I'm going to pick a college because I have discerned. That's a biblical faith skill. I have prayed about it. I've thought about it. I've looked at it. I've talked to other people. I'm making a decision. I'm going to go. But not saying this one's the right one and that one's the wrong one. Saying in a little bit more of a wordy response. As best I can sense, this seems to be how God is leading me right now. Follow God's lead. Don't search for God's secret plan. And you will have less fear around the decisions that you make. When I was much younger, I would go to birthday parties and there would be a game there called Pin the Tail on the Donkey. Anybody ever played Pin the Tail on the Donkey before? Some of you are embarrassed about playing Pin. It's okay. It's all right. Listen, I know it's 2018 and there's probably some donkey advocacy group out there who's outlawed pin the tail on the donkey like how cruel of this that you're disrespecting donkey life and you're not honoring donkeydom and all those kind of things you're not you're not you're not being respectful and my goodness why would you pin a t- poor donkey's lost their tails i know you don't be afraid we're not going to turn you into the donkey police it's okay If you've never played Pin the Tail on the Donkey before, it's this game where somebody puts a a poster of a donkey up on a wall, and then the game is is that you have a a tail. The donkey's missing his tail. Oh, poor donkey, he's missing his tail. And so the donkey's on the wall and the poster, and then you put on a blindfold. And then they walk you over to that, but if it's just a boring birthday party, they walk you over there. If it's it's just a, a... an amazing birthday party, they spin you around a bunch of times. And you're blindfolded, and you're supposed to go right there and take your little tail and put it on there, and then the next person gets the blindfold, and they go, and it's just a hilarious time as people are, you know, just putting the tails way over here, and the donkey's there, and all this kind of, somebody puts it on its nose, because they can't see. And in this act of pin the tail on the donkey, you're thinking, (laughs) okay, I cannot see, but now I feel the pressure to pinpoint this thing right here. My goodness, the donkey needs its tail. The donkey is depending on me. Oh my goodness, I do not want to screw this up. But I can't see. So I'm going to put it on there and then move my blindfold to see how close I got. God does not want you to make decisions at work and in love and in school and in all of life and in parenting. God does not want you to make those decisions like you're playing some game of pin the tail on the donkey where you can't see what God's up to in the world, but you feel this pressure to pinpoint the exact call where all is doomed. He loves you. He is for you. He is with you. He has given you his preferences. He has given you the ways to live your life. 
He has given you ways to see he is good and kind and trustworthy and you can rest. He's on his throne. He's got all things held together in the hands of Jesus. He has a plan for the beginning and he has a plan for the end. And yes, he's gone away, but while he's gone, he's preparing a place for you. And if he's gone away, don't worry, he's coming again for you. And there will come a day where we'll all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye and we will be together with him forever and all things will be made right. We can rest in our good God's hands. So therefore, we make decisions. With the blindfold on and the tail in our hand, and we say, Lord, help me. I'm praying, Lord, that you would steer me. I'm asking, Lord, help me. And we call out to our friends. We say, can I get an assist here? (laughs) And they say, a little to the left. And one of your loving friends says, dude, you are like way off base. You need to shift. Oh, thank the Lord for those friends. And we go through a process of, well, I've prayed about it, thought about it. I've sought some other help with it. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. 